after the Q&A, our people will be speaking to the base measure. After the Q&A, we're really going to be speaking in the base medrash at 11.30, giving Yomad some physic. Um, for now, it's our great supposed to have a chapter and a willing, just in general. It's so special that we have Arushi, Shiva, and Sushiva, and it's really special when they can be together uh, for a Q&A. I'm thinking to talk about things as important as, uh, as Yomad's mood and Eretz Yisrael and, and the like. I'm also very happy that we moved from Buck three away because it's not a fit. Um, this Q&A was done for the first time three years ago at Moshe's Burn and Micah Hyman, and we felt that it was very important to bring it back due to popular demand. So a lot of questions are very similar. Um, and again, we're just Schefter out of Willig. So the first question we'll start with, um, do the Rosh Yeshiva think that we emphasize Zionism and Aliyah enough? How much do we value these things? And if we should, what can we do as individuals and as Yeshiva to grow in our appreciation and connection to these values? Again, do we emphasize Aliyah enough? Do the Rosh Yeshiva think that we as Yeshiva emphasize Zionism and Aliyah enough? How much should we value these things? And if we should, what could we do more as individuals and as a community and as a Yeshiva to, to grow in our appreciation and connection? I think we have a pretty decent percentage of uh, graduates of alumni who moved there at Israel. I think it's pretty decent. Uh, what more can we do? It's a pretty, I think we're doing a pretty good job. Huh? There's always room for improvement. Anything that a person does or that an institution does. And if, in fact, we do value uh, Aliyah Territ Israel, which I think we all do, more can be done to encourage it. Of course, there's a difficulty which is inherent in the very question. Since Rashef Mashlita and myself happen to be living in this country, it's very difficult to preach with your own practice. It's a significant difficulty. We can ask people to keep Shabbos, keep Kashrus. It's easier because we also keep Shabbos and Kashrus. But to say, you know, do as I say, not as I do, that's a dangerous, it's a dangerous message. It's smacked of hypocrisy, can lead to cynicism. So there's a difficulty inherent in the very question. I, 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 I'm the first to, to recognize it, and that's perhaps the reason why, at least from the perspective of the Rabbanical living in the United States of America, it's difficult for them to, to make as strong a pitch as some would like for Aliyah, since it would demonstrate a lack of sincerity. Fact that uh, they're living in this country, time to discuss we call it. At the same time, not everyone's situation in life is identical, and different decisions can be made by similar individuals at different stages in their lives. The fact that someone who is at one stage in life uh, is not prepared to make Aliyah himself for various reasons, as cogent as they may be while at first glance may make it impossible for them to encourage Aliyah for others at different stages in life, different circumstances. For the Anshe Shlomeinu, the people who are willing to give the benefit of the doubt, it can be, it can be done. For others who like to criticize, there's always room to criticize. 
So therefore, I'm here by making a statement, which I think Rav Shem Lashia would agree with, that yes, Aliyah is important. And it's a mitzvah to live in Eretz Yisrael. Now, we were taught by our Rebbe, our Salavetri, the Quran of the Rafa, that while there is an opinion of the Ramban, more than one place, which he says that is a chil to live in Eretz Yisrael, and the only way we can not fulfill that chiyuv is because of extenuating circumstances. Basically, with an anus. An anus doesn't put on tefillin, it doesn't uh, sit in the sukkah. All mitzvahs are subject to the exemption of anus. Pikuach nefesh sure, which certainly existed years gone by. According to the Ramban, it's very difficult to justify that any of us are here. However, there are other opinions. I believe that. The Rav said, I believe that the according to the Rambam and others, what he called the mitzvah kiyumis, which means, since you're all in college, you use the expression, it's an elective, it's not a required course. It's an elective, there are many electives, and you know, you'll sure spend your time with these electives, each one according to his own preference. And this is certainly a mitzvah kiyumis to live in the Holy Land, but if it's not a mitzvah kiyumis, so then, you know, there are other considerations. Maybe a person can give what stuck a living in America, also beyond a certain amount, beyond a certain minimum, it's a mitzvah kiyumis. Maybe you can learn more Torah in Eretz Yisrael, which again, beyond a certain amount, is a mitzvah kiyumis, etc. Maybe some people feel they can bring up their children the way they want, the way they grew up here, and it's much more difficult there for many reasons. So again, if it's a mitzvah kiyumis, we can justify being in this country, while at the same time encouraging those who are able to, to go on Aliyah. As a follow-up to the first question, sometimes people, especially in America, have trouble connecting to Eretz Yisrael. They, they may have learned there for a year or two, but, but sometimes don't feel that connection. How do we work on growing in our connection to the land of Israel as a whole? Over 20 years, I participated in the SY writing program in the summertime in Eretz Israel. They take the students, they take the high school students on a tour, and they visit all the different countries. Everybody falls in love with Eretz Israel, even when they take Nachrim on a tour. A lot of the Nachrim fall in love with Eretz Israel. They convert. You just go touring and see all the places where our ancestors lived. I think that's enough to, to fall in love. Our chef, the Shalita, is busy touring the Holy Land. And the Akot, I'm in Gullis, in the Lake of Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> now, although I never recruit for Kim Barashakolo uh, in an official capacity, there's still a few seats left. <laughs> Not too many. But uh, please, uh, those who are veterans who had that experience know that it's a very special experience. But I dare say, and I don't say that. Because though the learning is more intensive in Kemarashah precisely, we don't have so many tours. And, you know, it's different audiences. Again, the audience that goes to NCSY Colo, they need, they need the tours. They're just, just wetting their feet. And they're so blessed to be in the presence of Gedolei Torah, such as Shechta, and Rabbi Sobolevsky, and Rabbi Tversky, and Rabbi Cohen, Tani Cohen, a lot of Gedolei Torah. There, it's always good to be in the presence of the Dole Torah. 
We have our own Rabbi Kohl. It's not that sort of... Hi, Yeah. So, so, so I'm not privileged to tour the country as much as, as going on Schefter is. Uh, however, I also have connections which he shares. Baruch Hashem, we have children living in Eretz Israel. And that's really a very strong connection. Every, every parent is connected to children and grandchildren. And the more children and grandchildren you have in the Holy Land, this intensifies the connection from simply personal and familiar, familial perspective, which is, of course, the best way to be connected. And of course, you need a, in today's world, you need to actually be there to be connected, because just as parents and grandparents connect these kinds of devices, as Chatoa and Maskir, these kind of devices, <laughs> which have WhatsApp on them, and you can see pictures of your children and grandchildren, wherever they may be, even in the Arab Campus America, you can certainly do it as well in the Arab Campus Aretz, Aretz Yisrael. And therefore, that's, it strengthens the connection that many of us have because of the family members that we have in the Holy Land. And I think it, it's, it's fair to say that the fact that Rav Shef, the Shlita, and I have children living in the Holy Land is not disconnected to the fact that we have felt strongly about the importance of Aliyah and of Eretz Yisrael in our homes, and perhaps without any uh, public proclamations, children pick up in their parental homes what the parents really feel. Can't fool your children, better or worse. And the fact that we have many children and grandchildren in the Holy Land, I think indicates to some extent the Abbas Eretz Yisrael, which they felt in their bones growing up in our homes. This is something which even a person living in, in Golis can, can succeed in imparting to the children. Obviously, as we heard, visiting Eretz Yisrael, even without touring the country, in Dunbar, Beersheba, and beyond, uh, strengthens the connection. Just you know, when I go, I usually don't. I do. I when I do, I usually go on a tour, a tour of the yeshivas. Rav Shetel the Mekomas Hakadoshim. I meet the Mekomas Hakadoshim of Karen Biavne and Shalavim and Harantzion and Hakotel and Ativ and then etc. Down. Oh, the my Mekomas Hakadoshim that I go to may not be as uh, scenic from the natural perspective, but seeing the Talmidim of our yeshiva and other Talmidim, past, present, and future. It's a very special experience, which, of course, even more so strengthens the connection to the Holy Land. Rav Willig, Rabbi, spoke in the first question about different chashbonos we should be making when deciding to make Aliyah. Um, I guess Turf Shefter and Rav Willig has any other follow-ups. Um, how seriously should we take these chashbonos of Aliyah, and how much should they weigh against other factors? Rav Soloveitchik used to say publicly that uh, he felt that anyone who's in Rabbonus or Chinov and Chutzlar is not permitted to go to Israel. He said, those in Rabbonus or Chinov are fighting intermarriage, fighting assimilation, fighting reform, and uh, they have to, they're not permitted to be mafsic. They should continue 
doing what they're doing. That's one of the important things by this. But basically, let's say people who work for a living, they can do the same thing in Eric's and they do in America. So they'll make a little less, they won't make so much money. They'll become less wealthy, but they can do very well in Eric's <laughs> Any one individual to project his situation onto others. There's so many different chashbonos that a person makes when deciding where to be, where to live, and where to do what we're supposed to do in this world, which is what we heard to be Margaret's Torah and to preserve the integrity of Am Yisrael and to enhance. Shmiris Hamitzvahs, the Abbas Hashem, among as many members of Klai Yisrael as we're able to do. Everyone has his own place, and it's sometimes difficult to know where the right place is. And the right place doesn't just mean whether you're in Eretz Yisrael or Chutzlars, but within Eretz Yisrael, within Chutzlars. Where's the right place? Not that a person always has a choice to find the place where he wants to go. Calls you by name and puts you in your place. You sometimes don't really have a choice to go to another place. Of course, people of Shefra's stature can go anywhere. And uh, for them, it's a much more difficult decision to make. But for others, there still can be choices, both in the realm of Chinuch, Rabbanus. Although Rabbanus is very hard to come by in the Holy Land, Chinuch is also somewhat difficult. The institution of the Rabbanus, as we know it in this country, doesn't really exist in the Holy Land. A rabbi who has a community, who earns a salary, and answers the questions of of the people. If you know the scene in Eretz Yisrael, Many, many places, including places, I'm talking about the Shomer Torah Mitzvahs now. They don't have really shul rabbis. It's a Kulon Chachamim kind of a situation, which is unfortunate in my opinion. The Mishnah screams about the importance of having a rough, despite the fact that Kulon Chachamim is someone who should be in charge, should be anarchy. But someone who is a rabbi in this country, certainly we can understand Rabbis Request not to leave this country because we'll start doing the same thing in Eretz You really it's almost impossible to do that in Eretz Yisrael. Say almost impossible. There are a few, there are some, have some, and a few exceptions. Chinuch is a little bit different, somewhat easier, although not so easy to find a position there because it's a question of supply and demand. So many more tamidichachamim, the positions in our part of the world are few and far between. But in any event, a person, I believe, who can replicate what he's doing here and there, I'm not sure if, if the Rav's objection would necessarily apply. Uh, those who know the, uh, the history of over 50 years ago know 
that the Rav was not happy with his own daughter and son-in-law. The Rav, his wife, Shatichya, decided to go to the Holy Land. He, he, he said publicly he opposed it. Uh, but what can I tell you? When a, a man of Rav Lichtenstein's statue went to Israel, I believe, I think it's people wrote about this, that the impact he had there was greater than the impact we would have had here at the Rebbe and Arishim, and, and Rosh Hashanah, the post which he left way back in 1971. That's the people who are, you know, different level. An average person, even if he's a Tamachot, or a Rav, or a Machanich, often the, the influence is lessened when he goes to Eretz Yisrael, then the Rav would be opposed. He'd want to stay here in this country to have a greater influence, whatever capacity that he, that he serves in. Honestly, if people at a younger age were able to replicate the work they do here over there, I give it to my brother, as a Talmud of mine, who kept saying he wants to go, he wants to go, and I said, no, you can't go, because you have, you're not only are you a Rebbe, he's a Rebbe here in our yeshiva, but you also serve as a Rav. If you go there, it was all for the job as a Rebbe, but you will not be serving as a Rav. I said, you, you can't leave, it's impossible. One day I said, Rebbe, I can be a Rav too. I said, I withdraw my objection, he's now a Rebbe, in a more prestigious yeshiva that he started off with, and is establishing a community in the Holy Land, as a show to object. On the other hand, I've said this before, and I still say it, because I don't, people don't listen to me. Some of my very wonderful colleagues have joined the ranks of individuals who retired to the Holy Land at an age when they're still 100% vibrant and have the capacity and the ability, if they so desire, to maintain their significant posts in Chinuch, some of them are in this country. And I don't believe a person has a right to leave such a position if they're able to stay, unless they can be reasonably assured that the one who takes their place of the same level of Torah Yerushalayim. I mean this very seriously, and sadly, I've seen it happen in a way which is not what I would like, not what my Rebbe would like, and these people either retiring completely or occupying insignificant positions in the Holy Land. But here they were doing very significant things, very, in shuls and in, and, and, and in schools. It's very nice to retire and to sit and learn whatever good things that people are doing. But if they would be able to stay here, sometimes they don't, they can't stay. In some places, the shul of the school says, you reach a certain age, shalom. Even, you know, and, uh, yeah. So then, okay, fine. What could be better? But if that's not the case, and they're able to stay, either because they're not that old, or because the shul is smart enough to know that as long as they do a good job, they should stay, they should stay, in my opinion. So this, this is just some rumination. So what, what, what I think of different situations. Baruch Hashem, talk to a young audience. Your lives are, are, are ahead of you. If you decide you want to Make your mark in the Holy Land in a proper way. Aluba Tzlich. As, as a follow-up to the point about Shtenach and Rabbanis, I think I've heard the Rosh Yeshiva use the muscle of the captain of the ship. 
So Rebbe mentioned it's a younger crowd. Most of us are in college or in smicha. How are we supposed to know if we're projecting to be on the track that we would be the captain of the ship and we wouldn't be able to leave because of the impact we could have in America? I think all the women have shuls and yeshivas have a significant influence on their listeners. The Rabbanim and the Shul should give more concern because the Bambatim will listen. And the Rabbis and Yeshiva should, should teach more because the Tabinim want to hear more. They're, they're all the captains of the ship. They're all, they're all able to influence their uh, Tabinim and their Bambatim. Shatta speaks, everybody listens. Other Rabbanim speak, not always. That's just the way it is. But Ahav became, as they say, think about the Mechselish Dishel of People do listen and do hear and are influenced. And I say this to everybody in the room put aside the Eretz Israel issue for the moment. We need more captains. We need more Machanchen. We need more Rabbanim. Can be successful. It involves some serious nefesh. We heard earlier about lowering your income by moving to Eretz from America. That, that's certainly true. But if you decide to come in Chinuchar Abonis in this country, as opposed to the careers that you could get with your wonderful degrees in this in this college, it's also a significant income loss. I had to measure the various disparities, figure it out. It would be, I believe, unwise, as the questioner implied, for a person not to become a captain, you will not be able to abandon the ship. That's true, there are enough captains without you. Let someone else be the captain. I'll sit and curl a little whatever. I have independent income. But that's not what we're here for. We're here for to be helpful, to be Marvin's Torah, to spread Yiddishkeit, the Kaddishem Shemayim. If that means that if I assume a Rabbanus at age, or young people, and I'm still in my 20s, and if I'm successful, I'll know that when I want to go 30 years from now to the Holy Land, that the rabbi will tell me I can't leave, I'm a captain, then no one's going to become a captain, and then the ship is going to sink. So I think that anyone here in this room who has a passion to go into Chinuch Rabbana should not be swayed by the lower income in this country or by the inability to abandon the ship at some future date to go to the Holy Land. If you're cut out for it and you have the ability and the talent and the, and the, the drive enter into this holy work of Olech HaShemayim I say in the same words I said before Bahatzlah How did the Rosh Yeshiva think we should view the many sects of Jews who are not Zionistic this could both refer to the thousands of B'nai Torah who are either non-Zionist or anti-Zionist as well as many secular Jews who have become anti-Israel Should we view them? Should we view them? The first word, how should we deal with it? How should, how should we view, what, what, what are Rebbe's thoughts towards the fact that there are so many Jews who are either B'nai Torah, but are anti-Zionist, and also the many, non, many non-religious Jews who are anti-Israel? 
My question is that those the nature of anti-Zionists is just a superficial state. They think that it's cutesy to say that uh, the Zionists are a bunch of pirates and they shall not bunch of young oven and they don't want to pay uh, taxes. It's all shit. They know in their heart that it's not so. I remember I was listening to came back and he lived in there for so three years and came back. Maybe you see him before he went there, he saw. said he visited by the Soloveitchiks in, in Yerushalayim. So he, he said that they uh, were having a conversation after the Six Day War. And he said one of them, I think he said, that all Soloveitchik said uh, about Masha Kavashto, we come to. He was identified with the, with the government, with the Israeli army. Well, they all know. They all know that it's a Jewish country and that we all belong in there. It's also a official shit. I don't think we should uh, debate with them. But they know in their hearts that it's belonging with us. It's also a official shit. The other Jews, uh, those who are not observant, we really don't need them in Eretz Yisrael. Ramban, in his commentary on the Sacred Mitzvahs, Right, the one who quotes Midrashim, the one who does an Avera in Eretz Yisrael, is considered like one is more the Malchus, Agam Nechadosh Shesamach Yini Bapayis, that all of Eretz Yisrael is considered Palkin Shalmelech, the palace of the Rabbani Shalom, officially the Rabbani Shalom of the Melech in Eretz Yisrael. If you do an Avera in the palace of the king, so that's a bigger Avera. So those who are not observant, we won't really need them in Eretz Yisrael. They're going to come along, they're all moving along. When, when the non-observant Jews visit Eretz Yisrael, they also has a big influence on them. Even when the non visit Eretz Yisrael, there's a big influence on them. And slowly, slowly, they'll all become uh, Shabbat I don't think we have to engage them uh, with debates, with discussions. It's going to happen by itself. The religious Jews should move to Eretz Yisrael. See to it that the country should be more observant and more religious. They, the religious Jews have to get involved a little more politics in Eretz Yisrael. And the YU alumni have to unite in Eretz Israel. They have to have a, uh, they have to get together. They should help each other find Shiduchim, to get Parnassah and so on. And they have their heads screwed on normally. Most of the Israelis are all extreme, extreme in one direction, extreme in the other. The YU alumni are normal. They should all unify together and they will have a bigger influence in Eretz Israel. At the end, the, the Frobenid, the shtick, will, will drop their shtick. And the non-observant Jews will see that that's the way to go. That's my impression. Amen. Thou tell us that Chacham is all that we know. of the world, you don't really know for sure. Uh, I'm much more pessimistic about the about the the anti-Zionists in the secular Jewish community, which as time goes on, from the halakhic perspective, is less and less Jewish. You probably are aware of the fact that the reform leaves in patrimonial descent. And in the street, certainly intermarried people have a right to be called Jews when they want to criticize the state of Israel. 
and the, sadly, university campuses, which is the future of American society, is virulently anti-Semitic, even violently anti-Semitic in many cases. It's a tragedy. And this tragedy, of course, aside from its intrinsic disastrous implications for Am Yisrael, they criticize the, the, uh, one of the leaders of the Mizrahi in Israel for using the term Shalach, Holocaust, about the loss of so many millions of Jewish souls in intermarriage and assimilation uh, since, since the Holocaust. He wasn't the first one by far to use the expression, I'm not going to use it myself, but just to illustrate how many millions of Jews have been lost to assimilation and intermarriage in the last, uh, let's call it the last 75 years. It's a tragedy in and of itself. You're also talking about involving politics. I, I am apolitical by nature, but the politicians do dabble in politics are warning us and the Jewish activists who try to help them that as the broader Jewish community in this country becomes less and less pro-Israel, has an impact on what goes on in the Congress of the United States of America, even in the White House, which is a second danger that faces us, somewhat peripheral to the main disaster of demographics. But it's very worrisome. Again, on both levels. That's as far as the, the, the secular anti-Zionism, which is extreme. The, uh, we'll call it the other extreme, we'll call it the, um, uh, let's characterize it. I guess we can use terms such as the Turicarta, So, I don't know what, what leads them the way they go. There was a great Rebbe called the Satva Rebbe, the big Tab Nechof and the big Tzadik, whose works of Chesed continue to inspire anyone who knows, knows about them. He had a particular Shita. He wasn't the first one to espouse that Shita, the anti-Zionist Shita. Everything was viewed as a Maisa Satan, even though same events that inspired brisker Eidechlach to use the word Kavashnu, inspired the Santa Rebbe to write Al-Agul of al which he cited the Six-Day War, which he feel was miraculous as a basis of the... And that, we'll call it a rather extreme position, has made inroads into what I consider to be the, the mainstream of the Haredi world, which I view not at all as anti-Zionist, I would call it rather non-Zionist. And I believe, again, I'm not an expert, not in sociology or in the, in the intricacies of this part of the world, although I am somewhat acquainted, I believe that they feel that since Zionism, in its original political iteration was primarily secular. I'm not discussing the, the proto-Zionists of the Gedoli Yisrael, 
of the 19th century who encouraged from people to lead from lives in the Holy Land. They were the pioneers, going back even to the Tamidi Hagra, Baal Shem, who came even earlier than that. But it's undeniable that politically, the, the political leaders of what called modern Zionism were overwhelmingly secular, and some even hostile. So therefore, the mainstream of, of the Haredi world are very hesitant to associate themselves. Perhaps you're familiar with a, a, a very recent development, very, very recent, which reflects some of the old tensions. An individual whom I know personally decided to embark on what started as a one-man crusade, proved to be very successful, to establish something called, I think it's called Eretz HaKodesh. My name is, I got the name right. And to involve Haredi Jewry Bahamoneam and their masses as members of the uh, World Jewish Congress and the Jewish Agency in order to influence very significant amounts of money which are allocated, which could accrue to the benefit of Torah institutions. For a long time, what we call the Mizrahi element of Klai Yisrael, calling telling religious Zionists, were part of this organization. Whereas the majority of what we call the Aguda world kept their distance. But in this particular case, because of the practical ramifications involved, many, many leaders in that world joined in this effort, signed their names to this effort, and remarkably, how do they say in this country, they went from zero to 60 in, in, in one shot. They were not members at all, and, and in one one election, they, I don't know how many numbers, what the exact numbers were, but a very significant percentage where they were, you know, the exact statistics, close to the numbers, not sure exactly which way, to the long-standing Mizrahi slate, which Rabbi Shekhtar slate the headed. But you know what happened? There was tremendous opposition within the world of Agudas Yisrael. There was an argument in members of the, what they call them the West, the only Torah here in this country, and it's built over Territ Yisrael, in various factions. And some said, articulate spokespersons whom I respect greatly, we can't do this. Of course you participate in Eretz Yisrael. This is not Satva that they boycott the national elections. By the way, for your information, Satva does participate in local elections, the municipal elections, because that's relevant to their immediate issues. But the national elections, which they view as being more global issues, they refuse to participate, which is sad, because if they would participate, it would certainly impact on the nature of the Knesset and the whole world, but we can't tell them what to do. But there were significant voices that said, all right, we have to be involved in, in the state of Israel. You know, there was, before the state was established, there were fiery debates, fiery, amongst Gedole Torah of that world, yes or no, yes or no. Although it's assumed that the majority of the people in that world, the Gedole, were opposed, if you look more carefully at the historical record, you'll see, not so simple at all. But after the state was established, they quoted from the, then the American head of the uh, Moetzes, whose name was Ruben Grozovsky, 
who said, stop fighting. Based himself on a chazal, but Nasa Odom, he said, for Nasa Odom, for Nasa Medina, it's, it's there already, stop fighting about it. It's there, you have to recognize, you have to live with it. And that's been their general approach, in or out of the coalition. But this, oh, it's not government anymore. This is quote-unquote voluntary. You choose to join a group that is headed by secular Jews. This is against our principles and very strong voices oppose this Eretz HaKodesh. So there are divisions of opinion within that world, and I believe we have to respect all opinions, from Satmar to, I don't know what the other extremists are, people who are showing mitzvahs, maybe we'll just use the word B'nai Akiva, something like that, just to give a, a name, throw a name on it. We have to respect, and we respect all Jews, even if they're not showing mitzvahs, we respect them, though we sadly disagree with them. But some of the short Torah mitzvahs, and you have one that was absent uh, attitude towards Eretz Yisrael, or Medina Yisrael, I believe we have to respect everybody. They, they, they all mean the Shem Shemayim, what they really mean when they're saying, and they don't mean what they're saying. That's not that important. What's important is trying to get along with people. Because we know, you know, uh, we have to try to have Shalom within our machne of Shomer Torah mitzvahs to be able to dab to the Kodesh Baruch Hu, for Shalom from our enemies. Look at the Malbin, other Mepharshim, Yi Shalom Bechelet Shalva Baman Osoyech. If you have Shalva Baman Osoyech in the palace itself, we heard that Eretz Yisrael is the palace, but Kla Yisrael occupies the palace, even those living here. If we have Shalva Baman Osoyech, we can get along with one another, notwithstanding significant disagreements, then we can have a greater chance of dying to Kodesh Baruch of Shalom Bechelet, that should be peace on our walls, on our armies, and our enemies should, should finally stop trying to harm us so much. That's what we doubt for all the time. So, you know, these are all significant issues which obviously cannot be covered fully in, in this forum, but I think that they should be understood by the people here in this room. My impression is that the next Akma Rebbe will become normal. And all those who are promised by Eretz HaKadosh will realize that they're wrong, they'll all join them. I think everything will, will straighten itself out. Amen. <laughs> so Rebbe just alluded to this, so I guess following up on it, is there a community or a type of community in Israel that parallels our community or the Ashkafa of the Yeshiva? Uh, if so, I guess which one? And if not, should we approach... How should we approach finding the right community in Israel, and should that be a part of our judgment of whether or not to make Aliyah? As I, I said before, I think the Y.U. alumni who live in Eretz Israel, there are a lot of them. They have to uh, unite, have to get together and help each other. And their voice should be heard more. That's the normal community. All the Israelis are very extreme. Either one direction or the other. We have to... We have to straighten out the Eretz Israel. By acting normally, that's all. By acting normally. Showing the others the normal way to go. So if that's, if that's the Matthias, should that, should that deter us from making Aliyah, or should we have to make Aliyah to make change? We should make Aliyah and form this big, big uh, unified group of alumni of Yeshiva. And, and the other the Israelis will see that you don't have to be so extreme. You can be a religious Jew and learn and keep mitzvahs and be a Zionist. But it doesn't have to be extreme. Everything can be normal. 
once again from Rav Shechta Shlita's mouth to Kodesh Baruch Hu's ears. It's not easy to to influence others who come from different backgrounds. Well, I concur completely my endorsement and the value of a YU type community in the Holy Land it's hard for me to maybe I lack the uh, the vision it's hard for me to envision that this group even if it uh, increases in size is going to dramatically impact various strongly held opinions and ways of life that pre-exist. Halavai. But your question is practical. What do I do about it until Rav Shechter's vision is fulfilled? That's your question. That's a very good question, which cannot be answered by merely asserting and even believing that down the road, things are going to straighten out. Because you're going there now, not down the road for that road, Halavite, the road should come to a, the Shir should come, and, and, and there should be peace within ourselves, and everyone should be quote unquote normal again. Halavite. But it's, I don't believe it's, it's, it's appropriate to make Aliyah on the assumption that these events are going to transpire in time for you to be successful and raise your children successfully. I hope I'm not underestimating. You know, what, 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 what will happen I hope it will happen but I believe one has to it doesn't mean we have to be paralyzed because the Mashiach is coming tomorrow and then therefore just do nothing we have to work with an assumption he won't come that's how we lead our lives even though we hope it's going to come every day we lead our lives in a fashion he doesn't come every day we have to be prepared. So too, <laughs> even on a lower level, what, what the Rav spoke about, everyone's going to be normal, and they're all going to realize that they made a mistake, and they're going to understand that uh, Eretz Yisrael is, is important, instead of Naniach. But you have to prepare yourself in case Khalila, that's not going to be realized in time for you to be there and succeed and raise your children there. And that's why your question is such a powerful question. Notwithstanding what we just heard. There are individuals who maintain, who have experience, that if a, if a couple, if a family wants to make Aliyah successfully, what does successfully mean? I'll tell you what I think successfully means. That all, as one of my sons put it to me, be Tosso Shlema. The children should all grow up to be Shomer Torah Mitzvahs. Those who know, know. And I spoke about this last time, got some flack, but I don't know if things have changed in three years. That in certain segments of the community, it's reported in the press. I'm not telling you a secret. It is a significant measure of what we call today Nishira, which means individuals who, sadly, growing up in Shomer Shabbos homes, where they themselves are not Shomer Shabbos. 
has something to do with the service in the army and other considerations which I can't elaborate upon in the time allotted. But it's a fact. I don't think it's deniable. And there are those who feel that if I will stay in this country, true, I don't have the intense experience of living in the Holy Land. And that same Ramban, where he decries Averis in Eretz Yisrael, it's really largely discussed in this past week's parsha. And the Vachimos, he says it. That if you sin, it's terrible. It's the Palfrin Shomelech. But the same paragraph, he says, on the contrary, if you do a mitzvah, the mitzvah is much more significant than the Holy Land. That's how he interprets the Maim Chazal, which Rashi quotes in part of it, not all of it, in Parshas Ekev, which he seems to be saying that the eager place for mitzvahs is in Eretz Yisrael. And though we, are, we have a chiyav d'oraisa, to fulfill them, when you put on film this morning, it was the Chi of Doraisa. If you bench this morning, it's the Chi of Doraisa. But the simple read of certain Amari Chazal, the Ramban understands him, and he's not the only one, is that the main place of mitzvahs is in Eretz Yisrael, and we observe the mitzvahs here in Chutzlaret, so that when we come back to Eretz Yisrael, should not be Beinechem Kechadosh. Those are the words of the Chazal. Indicate a somewhat lower level of of fulfillment here in this country throughout the world except for Eretz Yisrael. And therefore, that's a, another reason. Call it a mitzvah kiyumis, not kiyumis, but still, who wouldn't want to have the mitzvah at the maximum capacity? But at the same time, if the offset is, chalila, if I will move and my friends moved, and I see that there's a significant nishira rate among my peers who have, you know, people a generation before who grew up like me, and they move to certain communities and large numbers, Khalil of I'm saying I'm just giving you what's reported, over one third, large numbers have sadly, despite their parents being Shabbat Shabbos, are not Rahmad al Islam. So, you know, how can you take such a risk? I mean there's a risk here in this country too, we know, but the numbers are much are much lower, those who are growing up in we'll call our communities. One of the uh, preeminent Zionist leaders is discussing people who are going in Aliyah. He paraphrased uh, a Yiddish expression. We say it at a yard site. We say that the Shama should have an Aliyah. And he said, the Aliyah should have an Shama. So it should be a spiritual Aliyah, aside from a geographic Aliyah. And that's difficult. And I believe that many of our alumni have fallen into this, sadly. But in more recent years, perhaps even more alumni, seeing what's going on on the ground, have moved to communities which there's a greater preponderance of, of, our, of our alumni, call them normal, but insisted on doing what they can to preserve the mitos shlema of which I spoke. And in Eretz Yisrael, even with all their progress of this significant group, what they call themselves Anglos, it's still very difficult to navigate. 
it's very difficult to replicate the upbringing that you have in this country where you started, let's say, in yeshivas such as ours, and there are other yeshivas the same general range. It's very difficult to replicate that in the Holy Land. For those who know, in Eretz Yisrael, in these nearly universal practice of what we call today the, the uh, Haredi community, which includes many, many, many of our alumni. Once a person finishes, a child finishes, a boy finishes the eighth grade, that's it for secular education. It's called Yeshiva Ketana. Yeshiva Ketana in, there in the Holy Land means that after you finish eighth grade, it's exclusively Torah education. Exclusively. I'm not here to say yay or nay. This is certainly a significant option. But the other group sends to what they call Yeshiva Tichonit, where sadly there's not such a perfect record among its alumni. How so? Because the majority of those institutions, the alumni serve in the Israeli army, which is all... We're all grateful every single day to every single soldier who's protecting us, who did, is, and will. But at the same time, a reality check, there is significant negative religious impact in many quarters of the army. I know about the Hezder. Hezder is, thank God, still pretty successful in maintaining the, the high level of Shemir's Torah Mitzvah, but not everyone is in the Hezder, and if it's not Hezder, it's, it's, it's not the same ratio there are a few places, very few you can count them on your I believe on the fingers of your hand where they try to combine secular subjects in high school, at the same time maintaining a more we'll call it Haredi uh, position and sending their alumni to what we call the Yeshiva Gedola Yeshiva Gedola there means, of course, there's no secular studies, but they had some when they were for the four or five years after they finished eighth grade, so that if they, even they go to Yeshiva Gadol, wherever they go, they want to occupy a position of making parnasa, which often requires some of the basic skills that we generally learn in high school years, they're able to do so. And of course, you're reading about even people who never went to any school, they pick up later in life, Eluyim can do anything. But the average person who is not such an Eluyim has great difficulty. We never studied high school, and some sadly didn't even discover elementary school. I just read very recently, just now, that one of the most important uh, benchmarks that indicate success for those who try to enter into the world of Parnassi afterwards, sad to say it, knowing the English language, we, I don't want to sound like some arrogant American, but apparently the English language is helpful all over the world in making a parnosa. That and a little basic mathematics. That's beyond that. You can get, you can, even that is not being studied in many of these institutions, even on an elementary school level, which makes it more difficult. So then you're, you're there in the Holy Land, so what do you do? You go to the army, you don't go to the army. It's binary. Yes or no. Hez is the only one that tries to have it both ways. And Baruch Hashem, they've been the a lot of success there, but they're not, you know, count them up with all the proliferation of the heads in the bigger scheme of things, they're not all that many. 
and they're not always successful either. It's difficult. So the binary decision to be made when a turn, boy turns 13 or 14 finishes 8th grade. What, what, what do you say? That already is this question the way you said it's elementary school. I don't know the elementary school decision we make in this country are not so significant down the road. Think Hagar and Rapshat, did you tell me you went to public school for some years? Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> I also went to public school for kindergarten. That's how it was in those days in Brooklyn. But I went to Yeshiva from first grade, but you see, it didn't help. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it is difficult to thread the needle in the Holy Land. It really is. And I, and I have children who are trying to do so uh, with difficulty. Most of them sent their kids to school which were more Haredi than the ones they grew up in. What they grew up in? They grew up in Breuer's. They went to Rabbi Shepard's children. We all, they all went to Breuer's right over here. It was not a Zionistic school. But it was, a, it was, he was expression, normal. Normal. <laughs> normal. It was a, they grew up normally. And now they're trying to have their kids grow up normally. And They've been somewhat successful even in the Holy Land, but it's really hard to measure success and it's hard to achieve. We'll ask one quick question in our final uh, two or three minutes, and then again, our people will be speaking today's manager at 1130, followed by Esrudas Hoda. Could the speak about their first experience in Eretz Israel and how that helped them connect to the land of Israel? I think my first experience was a year after Muhammad Shishitayamin. I was married already, we didn't have any children. And uh, I decided maybe we would be blessed with children by visiting Eretz Yisrael. says sometimes, I want the Chutzpah of God. Sometimes you don't have children because of the Chutzpah. But you probably talk about my middle man, Mohammed Eretz Yisrael. That's what we're going to do. Spent uh, a summer in Eretz Israel, and I visited one yeshiva, another yeshiva. I visited different yeshivas, but I didn't really get to see Eretz Israel. Then I remember someone was trying to convince me for the Tanoah Hatzah Satar Talat. I don't know if they still exist. They still exist. They tried to found yeshivas in, in uh, out of the way places, have an influence on the whole community. Took me to visit some areas and tried to convince me that I should move there in Israel and uh, join one of their uh, institutions. So I remember they were driving me back at night. That's when I fell in love with there in Israel. I could smell the, the papers growing and it was dark on the highway and there were lights on the highway. Somehow I, I identified with there in Israel more when I was on that, uh, just that one night, and the whole time when I visited all the yeshivas, she was in it, so it's like in a bubble, like in a different world. It's not really the real Eretz Yisrael. When you meet up with the, with the Israelis, and you see the farmers and everything, I thought, that's the real Eretz Yisrael. That was my first experience in Eretz Yisrael. My experience in Eretz Yisrael was began when I arrived in the summer of 1966, in those days, 
I was a student in Yeshiva College. It was something called the Junior Year Abroad. It was in the catalog. I don't know if it's still in the catalog. And they gave examples. You could go to, to Oxford, to, to, uh, to Cambridge, to maybe the Hebrew U. But, uh, you know how we, uh, you can also go to Caribbean. out <laughs> Growing up in a home, which I did, my parents were lifelong Oameitzil. So, I had a chesed to go to Eretz At that time I was already in Talmud, my sophomore year, we were celebration this year, and my Rebbe discouraged me from going. He said, you can get a better shear. <laughs> But I wanted the experience, so okay, you know, you want the Israeli experience, okay. So I went in there as Israel, I landed, and it was right before Rosh Chodesh held in that summer of 1966. And it was in August, and I left. End of July, the following year, it was less than the New Year's Chodesh. Not much less, it was the Shana Bulbaris. And I didn't leave right away like some other. I left, I think I left the Shavasa Batamas after the Rosh Hashiva left. <laughs> but that year was transformative. It was transform- transformative for me personally and for the whole world. You see, aside from the whole experience, and it wasn't like today. Today, you know, you. <laughs> Some of the girls like Arabiano, these similar yeshivas, they already have their roommates lined up three months before, you know. I didn't know from anybody. They put me with two Israelis and a, a European, I had no, no, no friends in the dorm. And it was, I was, I don't know if they still call it, it was called the barracks, where there was no bathroom and no shower. We had to go outdoors in the freezing cold just to go to get to a bathroom or a shower. It was, it was a little rough again, then there was no food, and there was no milk, and there was no Hashem. <laughs> but it was transformative. The, for those who know Rabbi Goldberg, the Rosh Hashiva, was a very charismatic personality, and opened up new vistas, which even though I had already heard from Rabbi Soloveitchik, it was a different style, a different way of expression. And he also quoted people that Rabbi never would quote. And the morale and the, 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 the chlala, that could be done here in this country too, but it was for me it was open and those doors opened there. But we also love the land. I still remember. And uh, we had a week off after Sukkot, so a bunch of Israelis said, We're gonna go on a trip to the Negev with Jeeps. And I said, okay, I didn't even know how to drive, we had Jeeps. So they, we went to see you know, the land. In Chodesh Nisan. The yeshiva took us on a tiyul, official tiyul from the yeshiva, three days Galil, three days the Negev, one day Yerushalayim. Wow, we really saw what we thought was the whole country. But, a few weeks later, in the month of Eir, amazing events transpired. Amazing events transpired. And it all started on Hey Eir. There was a parade which the Israeli government did every year. They even did this year too. I saw something, they show all their which is 
a necessity. You know, there was, in those years it was a semi-communist country. That the communists on May Day would march down Moscow with their tanks and their planes, and they would go on Tel Aviv every year. Tanks and the planes to scare away the Arabs, which is a, it's an important thing. That year, the Prime Minister Eshkol decided to do a Yerushalayim. That was nuts. Nuts. Lay Malach and Yerushalayim. Yerushalayim then, I was there, was, wherever you were, you were a mile from the border. And they had a parade which marched on Yafo, went up Herzl, that was it, two blocks. So they couldn't go any further than that. They even had planes flying there, it was crazy. So Nasser, who led the Arab world, decided this is crazy, can't allow this, he declared, basically declared war, made a blockade of, of the Gulf of Aqaba, which is a, by international law, an act of war. But he went on the radio and said, we're going to drive every Jew into the sea. I'm sure our Sheikh Rashid remembers this being petrified here in this country. Everyone's petrified. Petrified, another Holocaust. Well, how far? Was I, after the, the Holocaust is a fresh memory of anyone of that, of that age. We're going to kill you all. And they brought all their tanks. I mean, this history of the Sixth Day War has been written about many times. You don't need me to repeat it. But just in one minute, they brought their tanks right up to the border. And the UN was promised to save us, so we, we exited in 56. And Nathan told to leave, so they left. They weren't like Sikh and Melech When they asked him to leave, he said, What do you mean? I'm putting it for this reason. That, that the UN was, was not learned from Sichon. They just left, and now they're up at the border. You know what we call today the Gaza Strip. And we're going to kill you all. I'm telling you, I lived through those three weeks in the Holy Land. And the people in America, I think, were more scared than the people living in the Holy Land. And on a fateful morning, exactly three weeks later, it was also a Monday that year, the Israeli couldn't handle anymore. The Americans decided not to help us too much. They decided it made anything really. And they ran two runs of the entire Israeli Air Force, skimming the ground, and destroyed just about the entire Egyptian Air Force on the ground. That's how the Six-Day War started. The Six-Day War was really a three-day war primarily. What happened was, again, you can't believe this. Here you begged the other countries, don't start a second front. But they didn't listen. Nasser, huh? they intercepted the conversation. So what the King Hussein was usually a very conservative monarch, because he last on the throne more than any other. And some reason, he believed what Nasser said, watching on Tel Aviv, and he attacked Yerushalayim. They attacked Yerushalayim with tanks. They came marching into Yerushalayim, the Sakonis of Oshis Mamish, in the holy city. So, they had to divert troops from the Sinai where they were. It was a three day war. But we didn't know that. We were in Karambiyamna. Because the Arabs said they were marching in Tel Aviv. And the BBC, with the British, they just parroted what the Arabs said. And Israeli radio, garnished. Music, music, you know, the, the, the military music, the, you know, those, the army marches. And we're sitting there, they're marching on Tel Aviv. So we looked out the window of Kermiyavna, the Kvishachov, which is not far. And then they, you can't pass, you can't get to Tel Aviv from Aza without passing right by Kermiyavna. <laughs> we didn't see them, we didn't know what to make of it. I still remember Tuesday morning, 
the second day of the war, we still don't know what's going on. In the middle of Shachris is a siren. They had just built that dome, what's it called, the Sheret? I don't know it was a cross. And there was a Miklat, there was the first Miklat. That was, in my, when I was there, I was there when they put the Mizzuzas on. We all rented a Miklat, it's a minimum suit of the zebra. And the Shachris was like Nihila Plus. We thought that, that well, they're coming, and we have to hope they won't find us here on the way to Tel Aviv. What really happened was a one Iraqi plane flew over Netanya, dropped one bomb, killed one person who went on the porch instead of the Miklat, and the whole country went down for a period. Finally, Wednesday morning, one, one, all of a sudden, I called to be a day, and all those movies you've seen, <laughs> was may I fail or the Yom They wanted to kill us. And all of a sudden, in three days, we were at the Suez Canal at the Jordan River. Why did the Six Day War? Oh, the Goya woke up. For three weeks, nothing, nothing to help us. Israel's winning, we gotta stop the war. So they made a sack, the war will end. Shabbos, 6 p.m. Friday night, Kapsak for Rabbi Goran, go up to Golan Heights. That Friday night, they, they took casualties going up the heights, not so easy. They got as far as they got. The border was still there now. Still there from that Friday night, Shabbos, 6 o'clock, the border, that's where it was. This and the flows. This and the flows. I lived through it, I still remember. So, so after the six days were over, so now what? We wanted to go to the holy sites, but you can't go to Yerushalayim. It's full of mines and, and, and barbed wires and burnt out tanks. They said, we're going to open the wall, open the wall to you, the western wall, the coast of Arabi, on Shavuot's morning. Shavuot's morning is exactly one week after Yom Yerushalayim. Bidiyuk. So Wednesday was Chav Kassir. Next Wednesday was Babsi. So, of course, we went to Yerushalayim, had an all-night mishver, and what they called then... Uh, Heichel Shlomo, King George Street. I still remember we came out, we dabbed in Shachos with Korea Satoru, we didn't know what was going to be aiming at it. We come out, it was five something in the morning, it was all be empty, the streets are packed. The New York Times had a quarter of a million people there. It must have been double that, easily. We came, they were dancing and singing with Mamish, Yushalayim, of New York, Yishachum, Yachtov. I remember dancing down, there was a guy, one guy, me was a, a rabbi al-Chosid with his streimel, with his white socks, with his, with his yellow uh, kapota. And the other side of me is a not yet religious Jew, bareheaded with a camera over his shoulder. They're dancing together. They're dancing together. It was normal. <laughs> but that was the most abnormal day in our history, that, that normal day. Mashiach Mashiach was coming. Ki yashukhu b'liyachta. That's the chavarim z'alazeh. It's unbelievable. We went through the wall. You know, the Arabs are cowering. They're, they're, they're scared of us. I lived through this. I saw it myself. This month, month of the year, 55 years after Yisimah, shortly thereafter. So he told about it. My first experience in Eretz Yisrael, you count the whole year. I mean, that was obviously the highlight. But we also lived through general times in Eretz Yisrael, which is uh, transformative. That's the word I use. It was the only one year that Shana Bet that was not too much the style. We came back to the Rosh Hashir. Huh? But that one year was certainly transformative, and now it's time for me to stop. I believe it's time to stop. Thank you so much for listening.